Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, it's good to be back with you. Um, we have, uh, we're continuing in our series on uh, <clears throat> cultural quicksand, and I hope it's been a blessing to you thus far, and hopefully it's challenged you in your thinking uh, to go with the biblical worldview versus the cultural worldviews that are out there right now. And um, as I like to say in every message, um, <clears throat> and, I, and I do this just for the sake of doing it, uh, if you're a follower of Christ and uh, you really don't agree with things that I'm saying in here, I would invite you just please give me the scriptures. And I'll study those out. But I'm approaching these things from spiritual, scriptural standpoints to give you a biblical worldview in the midst of a world that's on cultural quicksand. If you're not a follower of Christ and disagree with some or all this message, hey, it's okay. You could still come to church here. You could still listen to the messages. Um, <clears throat> you don't offend me one bit. I'm a grown-up. You're a grown-up. We can disagree and still be friends and respect each other because that's what grown-ups do. Okay. So today we're going to talk on a very, um, I think, a needed topic and maybe somewhat sensitive, but it's very needed. I'm going to talk on hope for the angry, offended, and intolerant culture. Because I think we see a lot of that these days. I want to begin with a statement, and here's a statement. If everything is a cause for outrage, then nothing seems important anymore. If everything is a cause for outrage, then nothing seems important anymore. I want you to teach your children well. <clears throat> but you see today in our culture that there are people walking around and they're outraged at everything. Everything outrages. What I mean is they are chronically angry, offended, and intolerant of almost Everything, everything. And the question I have first off is, is that really the way we want to live? And the answer is no. Is this what we want our children and grandchildren to learn and to live out and to operate on that dysfunctional, emotional level? And the answer is no. I got a wider question. Can a marriage, can a work environment... Can friendships, can a country, can it operate in an angry, offended, intolerant, emotional, dysfunctional nature and expect to survive and thrive? And the answer is no. Teach your children well. <clears throat> you see, it's like this. Some of you, and you know, it's just reality. Some of you have had children that grew to be very angry teenagers. And some of you know that, and it's a very painful thing for you, I know. You bring home pizza, they're angry because you didn't bring home the pizza they like, or from where they like. You ask them, take out the trash, they blow up. They're angry and offended at that. Hmm. You sit there and you say, um, well, you know, uh, I'm going to put a curfew on you. They blow up at that. Yeah, I shouldn't have a curfew. I should be able to come in anytime I want. I'm 16 years old. 
You tell them, don't talk to your mom like that. They blow up at that. They're offended and angry at that. And so once you get a teenager that's blowing up at almost everything, think with me now. The next time they blow up at something, do you really take them serious? And the answer is no. Because they blow up at everything. You, you take none of it serious because all you do is view them now as, well, they're just an angry person. Doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter what we say, doesn't matter. They're just going to blow up, they're going to be angry. Because if everything is a cause for outrage, then nothing seems important anymore. And I think we're nearing that place in society and people in their individual lives are in those places now. So today, <clears throat> we're going to look at anger, offense, intolerance from a biblical perspective. And then I'm going to give you at the very end a short, brief history lesson. And the reason for it, it's a great illustration from history, but to also show you that there's nothing new under the sun. That Satan is playing the same program and the same trick that he's always played. And humans fall for it. Humanity that's veered from God and doesn't follow what this says, and now it's up for grabs, whatever they want to follow, they fall into the same traps. Now, but before we get there, let's get into our key verses for the series. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. What is Jesus saying? It's very simple. If you take the words of Scripture, His words, and you act on them, you live them, if you do that, when the wind of tribulation and persecution or cultural shifts, when those things come, you're not going to shake all over the place. You're not going to be torn down because you have built your life upon the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ and his words. But if you hear these words and 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 you don't act on them, you don't live these things out when all the winds of different thought and thinking and persecution and tribulation come. You're going to be blown away. You're going to shift all over the place. You're going to be fooled and deceived into every lie that comes down the pike. Listen, I say this periodically and I tell young people this. Make your highest pursuit of life the truth of God's word. Because the truth is what you have going for you here in the midst of a world, a culture that throws so many lies at you. 
You should be able to answer when someone like Pontius Pilate, when he threw it at Jesus, what is truth? (laughs) And Jesus said, he who is of the truth hears my voice. We need to be able to answer and give those answers to that. So what do these verses mean? We boiled it down to a statement, and that is this. Foundations form futures, and they do. Whatever you're building your life upon, that's going to be the future of your life. So, I want to begin today, i got three points for you in that history lesson at the end, but I want to begin with the real root of the problem that we're seeing today in the culture. And when I say today, I mean over the last decades and decades. It's been building and coming on for a long time. This did not happen overnight. And like I said, this is just a satanic replay in the lives of people. The first thing is, we, is this. People don't get angry. They are angry. As we look at you know, the angry, um, offended, intolerant culture, and I want to bring hope today, um, the one thing you need to understand, and maybe you've never thought of it like that before, people don't get angry, they are angry. They walk around angry. And whatever anything tips them, here it comes. Now the Bible has a lot of things to say about anger, I've only picked a few things to say in each point because I can't cover all the verses. You would probably tune me out if I went through too many. But let me give you a couple on anger before we expand this further. In James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, this is the half-brother of Jesus. James becomes the head of the church, the early church. He says this in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, we do the opposite today, don't we? We blow up right away. We start blowing it out of our mouth, just screaming and yelling, and we don't hear a thing anybody else says. That's that's how we lived it, the exact opposite of that verse. How many marriages and friendships and everything else that you can name would have been saved had you just lived that verse the right way, the correct way? Be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. And then verse 20 says this. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. What anger of man is he talking about? He's talking about verse 19. The type that just blows up, starts yelling, and doesn't listen to a thing. That's the anger of man. It's a very unteachable, angry spirit. It's a person that doesn't get angry. They've been angry for years and years and years. Now, let me give you another one. It's found in Proverbs 29 and verse 9. Proverbs 29 and verse 9. And it says, When a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man. The foolish man either rages or laughs, and there is no rest. Now, the foolish, the word foolish there, that word used by the writer means quarrelsome and one who despises wisdom. Let me tell you what it's telling you to do. If you get into a debate with a quarrelsome person who despises wisdom with a foolish man, they're either going to blow up on you Or they're going to start laughing like you're some kind of an idiot or fool. 
And that's why Proverbs later on teaches, don't do it. Don't bother with it. Don't get in these things with foolish people because they either rage or laugh. It's a waste of your time. Because you're not dealing with a grown-up in that moment. You're dealing with a child. What do I mean? People don't get angry. They are angry. <clears throat> so let me take you back in time. I grew up angry. I did. I, I was a type, on the inside I was raging. And I try to be purely self-control on the outside, but inside I was raging. I directed my anger towards anybody around me that uh, <clears throat> did this or that or disagreed. And they, I thought they were my source of anger. That's, that's, it's their fault. <clears throat> did I get angry? No, I was always angry. Now why? How, how did I become like that? Oh, you've heard my story, some of you, some of you haven't. So let me share a quick snippet of it. I grew up in a, in a home where alcohol was supreme. Where my dad drank every day. I mean, intoxicated daily. Where I had a few nights through here and there where it was a lot of rioting in that house. Yelling, screaming. And I'll just stop there. I won't tell you the rest of the things. So I grew up really angry because of all that's going on around me. In that kind of a home, I'm what's called an ACA, an adult child and alcoholic. The alcoholic in the family is there in the home if they haven't obviously left or divorced or whatever. But they're not emotionally engaged with you. They're very distant. And so that's another piece of the puzzle why you're, you're filling all these things. And so... <clears throat> I grew up angry. Not that I get angry, I was angry. Now what I'm going to say next, um, <clears throat> I don't have a nationwide survey and I don't have a sample of 500,000 people over 20 years. I don't have any of that. But I do have 35 years of experience talking to people, counseling people, dealing with myself, reading a lot on the subject and what's going on uh, in, in, these, in these areas. <clears throat> And what I'm going to say, I say because you don't want to pass these things on generationally to your children. Hmm. Adult children of alcoholics, there's 70 million of us. Or I should say children of alcoholics. There's 70 million of us in America. In America right now, 28 million or thereabouts are kids growing up in alcoholic homes. That's one problem. How many kids are growing up or you grew up with no dad there? Dad left or he never even hung around. How many kids growing up or grew up in an addicted household? It was crazy. It was just a wild situation. How many of you grew up with parents screaming at each other, angry, could never resolve anything, and you wonder, you wonder, why don't they just separate? It would be so much more peaceful. How many kids grew up and watch uh, physical abuse in the home? Guys, this is a problem across America right now. This is a problem when people retreat from God as a country and we're left to ourselves and we make ourselves God and we go into all these vices and the children suffer and we grow up and we become these people that are angry on the inside. You can say, that's not true. It's absolutely true. That's the real root of the problem. Now let me say something. 
I applaud some of you out there. Because when you got married, you figured out pretty quick you had a lot of issues. But you worked it out. And you didn't blame them and blame them. Eventually you realize you're the problem and what you came from and what happened. And you dealt with yourself. And you worked it out and it wasn't easy, but you kept growing and you're still growing and you know you haven't arrived like I know I haven't arrived, but you keep working on it. I, I applaud you very much so. <clears throat> but here's, here, here's the deal. <clears throat> We have been developing, growing an angry generation of people and it's in the family structure. We've been developing these people and they don't know what to do with their anger. They don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And you all know this is nothing new. Angry people, hmm, they don't think right. They do not think right. Emotions drive them. Now let me talk about anger for a second because it's a definition that I've given you many times. I heard it over 30 years ago. I wish I could remember whose book I read it in because I would give them credit every time because it sure helped me. An angry person, not I get angry, but I'm always angry. And you may say, well, that's not me. Okay, come on. It's possible. is chronically impatient with people or situations, chronically irritable with people or situations, or chronically pouting with people or situations. One or two or all three or any combination on a consistent basis. You don't get angry. You're always angry. You're always angry. Have you ever thought of it like that? How about this question? When are you going to deal with you? When are you going to deal with you? When are you going to deal with what happened to you way back when as a kid? When are you going to deal with that? When are you going to forgive? When are you going to let go of that and start looking at every one of your dysfunctional issues and anger and start to let the healing of the Spirit of God come into your life? Because that's where it starts. And that's the real root of everything. Now, let me tell you one thing I noticed about myself. I began to realize when I started to deal with myself and my anger that, um, <clears throat> and, and in talking to many angry people since then, uh, angry people, we take things personal, do we not? You know it's true, everything's personal. You go on Facebook, social media, you're offended by, um, that's personal, that's personal, and you're all worked up. You don't even know the person. And so what happens is when everything's personal, oh, 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 you're chronically offended, which leads to point two. We're going to deal with anger and now the offended culture. Point two is offended people scan the environment for ways to be offended. Yes, they do. Offended people are always looking for something to be offended by that. Check yourself on that one. See if that's not so. Don't teach your kids that. Now, we're going to go to Luke chapter 9. This is a Jesus story with James and John. And they're traveling uh, towards Jerusalem. And they're wanting to pass uh, through an area of Samaria. 
And, and here's what happens. Watch, verse 51 to 56. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. That's Jesus. He's determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Hmm, I'll tell you why that's a big deal in a second. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, when they see that they're not letting Jesus pass through here, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? In other words, you want us to charbroil these guys? Well, do a call lightning down, Lord. You know, because we're real loving disciples. But he turned and rebuked them, and here's what Jesus says, and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Oh. It's a great interaction. It's a great Jesus statement. What's going on? What's going on is you have two ethnicities going at it. You have the Jews, James and John. The Samaritans... Well, they're kind of like half-breeds. When the Assyrian invasions, there was intermarriage there, and so they're Assyrian Jewish. They're called Samaritans. So it's an ethnic uh, division there. <clears throat> now, James and John, when the Samaritans don't let Jesus pass through, what are they going to? Now, these are, these are two of the first 12 disciples. They go into angry, offended, intolerant mode. But Jesus sets them straight. And he asks them, Come on, guys. We're not going to call fire down from heaven. And he says, What kind of spirit are you? Follower of Christ, because that's who I'm talking to mostly kind of spirit are you? Call fire down from heaven because you don't like what they say, you don't like what they are, you don't like, call fire down? What is it? Are you just an angry person? You think you get angry? No, you're always angry. What kind of spirit are you? <clears throat> he says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming to do that. I'm coming to save. I'm coming to save people. Teach your children well. Teach your children well. Now, let me give you a big question. What, um, what is the root of offense today? What's the big root of offense today? Let me state it, and let me define what I mean. It's hypocrisy. That's the big root of offense today. It's hypocrisy. Now think with me. Now, I don't have to speak very long for you to go, oh yeah, that's true. What's the big deal today in America? Let's dig up everything this person has ever done wrong in their life. Let's go back 10, 20, 30, 
40 years. Let's dig it all up, man, and show what a hypocrite this person is. Isn't that the way we live now? <clears throat> they did this 30 years ago. They did that 25 years ago. Let me give you two, two statements about that. A person can't change? Would you like to be defined by what you did 25, 30 years ago? Or how would, second thing is, how would you like to, how would you like for people to find out, or for God, for heaven, to send down a social media message on all social media platforms and share everything you ever did wrong, every bad thought that you've ever had, plastered everywhere, from 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, before you came to Christ. How'd you like that one, huh? <laughs> you wouldn't like it, but that's the culture we live in. So everything's hypocrisy now because they're bringing up everything from the past. What a waste of life. What a waste of time to do things like that. Now let's go deeper. I want to go deeper on this point because we've got severe problems here that Christians, we need to think right, think biblical. <clears throat> they dig up the past. They go way back. Oh, let's go way back. That's a big deal. Let's go way back. <sighs> Offended people, they dig way back and they hold on to ancient grievances. Feeds their anger. Feeds their offended nature. Psychologists call this ancient grievance, they call it the chosen trauma. I talked about this about two weeks ago, maybe three, I don't remember. Chosen trauma. Politicians know how to use chosen trauma. They play us all the time on this one. And not my God, come on, you, they all play us. Stop. They find out this group's chosen trauma. They're offended what they have their beef about, and they speak to them. Then they go to this chosen trauma group, and they change their message and speak to them. Then they go to this group chosen trauma, change the message from this one and this one to them. They know how to play all the chosen trauma groups. So they do it all the time, and we sit there buying into the whole thing. Yes, we do. They know they've been doing this for decades, and they find that chosen trauma group, and that's how they get elected. But here's the real question. It's the real question of offense, and it's the real question of hypocrisy. The question is this. How far do we go back? How far do we go back? That's a big question today, is it not? Listen closely to me. Listen very closely to me. Christian, follower of Christ. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. That's in the Bible, by the way. Watch this. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity. Nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon, will be upon himself. And the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> people today, the culture today is trying to hold people accountable 
for what their ancestors did a long time ago. Now, some of you don't like that statement right there, but I just read you something from the Bible. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. It's what it says. He said, that's an ancient grievance. And God says, sorry, that don't work. It's not how we play it. You don't hold the kids responsible for the parents and their sins. You don't hold the kids responsible for, for grandpa or great-grandpa's sins. You don't, you don't do those things. Now let me take it home, a closer to home, to try to heal that offended nature. Because we see them going back and saying that, can we come back to the home again? For me to quit being angry with the people out there and be offended by them out there, and I had, to, I had to deal with that. I had to come back to the home. And I had to forgive my dad. And I had to let go of that trauma. Jesus said, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. You hold on to these things from the past, it's going to just grow. It's not going to go away. As I've said before in this series, I'm not doubting the victimization in cases, but I firmly believe scripturally that everyone's been sinned against, therefore everyone's been victimized on this planet, but some have been victimized more than others. We're all in the same club. It's just a fact. It's a biblical fact. <clears throat> I'm just trying to help you get out of the emotional dysfunction of, of anger and offense and not teach your children this. <clears throat> You know, as I observed myself and understood myself more and more, one of the things that really came out, please hear me, somebody, please hear me. <laughs> I remember in my dysfunction, in my anger, it was just, if someone disagreed with me when I said something, I would be steaming on the inside, steaming. Say, no, yeah, yeah I, I really would be. There was just this inner rage if you disagreed with what I said. I've shared this before. I'll share it right now with some of you. Maybe it'll help somebody. I would go home after someone disagreed with me. And this, I was a youth pastor at the time. <laughs> I just didn't realize how angry I was inside. I remember I'd go home, somebody disagreed with me, I'm raging on the inside, I'd go home, walk in the bathroom, lock the door, look in the mirror, imagine their face, and imagine I'm just throwing blows at them, and just bloodying their face. I remember it. I did it so many times I couldn't count. And then one day, I remember I was doing it, some in the late 80s, I was doing it again, and I remember it was like, it was a Holy Spirit moment, I looked at my hands and my fists, I said, and it was like the Spirit of God said, look what you're doing, what's wrong with you? That was the first time I caught myself doing that. That was the first time I thought, oh my gosh. I'm so angry. I get offended by this. I take that personal just because somebody disagreed with me. <sighs> See, when I was angry when people disagreed with me, it led to, a very, to an intolerance of, of other people. I wasn't tolerant of any, anybody that disagreed with me. And that leads to point three today. Tolerance has been redefined. We've talked about redefinitions back in week one with Daniel in Babylon. Remember that? But tolerance has been redefined. You know, tolerance used to mean, and it is the proper definition, that you and I, as adults, we could dialogue, 
share our differences of opinion or viewpoints of life. Not get angry with each other. Still respect each other. Even be best friends and go out to dinner with each other and our families. That's what tolerance means. That's what it used to mean. That's what it truly means. Not anymore. Not anymore. There's been a redefinition because remember, existentialism, words have no meaning anymore. Now, the idea of tolerance, no, this is what tolerance means today. It means, I will tolerate you as long as you agree with me. But the moment you do not agree with me, then I blow and I get in your face and I don't tolerate you anymore. You know, as a follower of Christ, as a pastor, one of the things that looms on the horizon is taking away our religious freedoms and beliefs. More and more, they're becoming intolerant of what this says and the lifestyles that it promotes versus the lifestyles it speaks against. And they will try to bring laws in the future say, oh, no, yeah. come on, it's a historical fact. These things happen. Or they will make it illegal in the future at some point for pastors to say certain things or speak against certain sins. They will become very intolerant while screaming that we Christians are intolerant. I shared this. Um, I think back in April um, on social media. I'm going to share it again. It needs to be said. I didn't come up with this. Is the late, great Ravi Zacharias. I just love his wisdom. Um, he passed away recently. He was in a meeting, and he was in meetings where they would ask some difficult questions. And somebody asked him a difficult question on a certain moral issue and lifestyle. And he said, okay, I'll answer the question, but can I ask you a question first? It was a female. She said, absolutely. He says, let me say this first before I ask the question. He says, there are three types of cultures. There's a theonomous culture where a society is led by the rule of God, what God says. He goes, do we live in that today? She goes, oh, no, we don't. Then he says, there's a heteronomous culture where society is governed by force, where there's a dictator like Hitler who doesn't allow you to make any decisions for yourself whatsoever. It's just forced upon you. Stalin, Marx, etc. He says, do we live in that right now? Oh, no, we don't. Then he says, then there's an autonomous culture where everybody self-governs, self-rules. They get to decide for themselves, you know, what they think is right or wrong or this and that. Do we live in that now? And she said, oh, yes, that's the culture we live in right now. And then Ravi Zacharias says this. So, that, so then, if I exercise my autonomy, my self-rule and what I believe is right or wrong, and I share that with you, will you respect my autonomy? Or will you revert to a heteronymous culture and become a dictator and start to get in my face and tell me how wrong I am and why would I believe that and I'm intolerant and I'm this and I'm everything else? That lady stopped dead in her tracks because she realized she was a dictator. We see a lot of little dictators running around society in all the cities today, don't we? 
I don't know that you think the way you want to think. Christian, I'm talking to you now. Even in sharing our faith, we just share it. We try to reason with people. I don't force anybody. You can't force anyone. And in society, this is the way we should respect each other. We don't turn into little dictators in a heteronymous culture. We live in an autonomous culture. You get to choose. You get to believe this. You get to believe that. And everybody should respect what everybody else thinks, even if it's completely contrary to what you think and what you believe. What kind of a world would we live in if that was being practiced? Now, there are plenty of scriptures on tolerance, but let me give you a couple. Because I like to back myself up scripturally so nobody can say, it's what you feel, it's what you think. Philippians 4, 5, it says this. It says, let your gentle spirit be made known to all men the Lord is near. Now, the word gentle, that Greek word means to put up with, to yield, unwilling to contend. In other words, you can let God fight your battles. You're not going to get all crazy with people. You know, you've heard the word meekness before, right? Well, the word meek is the idea of power under control. It's in the classical Greek, it's the idea of a wild stallion, but it's been broken to be able to be ridden. Now, it has not lost its power at all, but now it is power under control. Huh, that interesting. And that's the way we're to live, power under control. But we see too many people living in power out of control. Oh, well. Now, a second verse I want to point you to is 2 Peter and 3, verse 9. And it says this. This is about God. Watch this. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Hmm. Did you hear what it said? God, this is the character quality of God, God is patient toward you and toward me. Question. How many sins across the whole world, including yours and mine, could God allow himself to get angry and offended and intolerant toward? <laughs> it's, it's innumerable. God could easily be that toward you and toward me. What keeps God from going off the rails and be patient? The same thing that should keep you and I, Christian, from going off the rails and being patient with people. That's fruit of the Spirit. Love. Do you love people? Well, some. Well, if you don't love them all, then God says you don't even love Him. Love and joy and peace, patience, endurance. You know the story. You know how it goes. Uh, you know the fruit of the Spirit. That tells you if you're growing or not. That tells you if you're living according to the flesh or according to the Spirit of God. Which one are you doing? You see, the measure of a healthy society and the measure of a healthy person is that we not all agree on the same thing. That's not the measure. Get that out of your head. 
The measure of a healthy society and a healthy person is that we can disagree on things and still respect each other. Your own marriage tells you that. Historical replay. Ancient grievances and um, chosen trauma. History always repeats itself because Satan has no new plan. He's got no new plays. He runs the same ones over and over again. Humanity falls for it. Um, some of you remember um, in the 90s all the ugliness and the war that happened in the old, in old Yugoslavia. Some of you remember that. It was ugly. It was bad. I mean, bad ethnic cleansing, what people were doing to each other, bad. But the question is, how did this happen? What, what led to this? How, how did this erupt there and destroy so many people and cause so many people to turn into animals towards each other? What was it? History repeats itself. Here's how it started. <clears throat> The elite, you can go read all about it. The elite Serbians chose trauma. They had a chosen trauma. You know what the chosen trauma was? The Battle of Kosovo in 1389. 600 years ago, they dug up a trauma from 600 years ago. They took that event from 600 years ago. They harnessed it. Because that battle symbolized something. It symbolized the Serbian victimization by the Ottomans, the Muslims, and all the interferers of their country and people. 600 years after that event, a man, a Serbian by the name of Slobodan Milosevic, he used this battle 600 years later to create a national fervor. You know what he did? And he did this. He took the body of a man named Prince Lazar who died in the battle 600 years before. He took that man's body, this Prince Lazar, <clears throat> this Serbian leader who was killed there, and he went on tour with the body. And he gave rousing speeches and got people riled up about, oh my gosh, we've been traumatized, we've been victimized. These people, they've done it to us. We've got ancient grievances, and he spilled, spoke and spoke, and he riled up a nation against itself. You know what the result was? Please listen to me. Please listen to me. They had been living peacefully in intermarriages. Different ethnicities married with each other, no problem. They had lifelong friendships. Serbians and Croatians, they had these things. Vladi Divac, Drazen Petrovic, for those of you basketball, NBA sports fans, you remember those names? Different ethnicities, they were great friends. You've watched the 30 by 30, maybe you've seen it. They grew to hate each other over this, what was going on. After it was all over and done, Drazen Petrovich, Vladi Divac's friend, he died in the 90s in an auto accident. Vladi Divac to this day regrets that he ever broke friendship with him. And he can't go back and make it right. 
He regrets that he allowed all this chosen trauma and all these ancient grievances to come in there and poison him. The elites ignited the war. Ugly. It was July 30th this year. I'm uh, backpacking with guys from the church. And um, we're walking in that day. It was a Thursday. And we're walking five and a half miles into our destination. We're carrying about 40 pounds on our back. We're going to stay two nights. And, you know, there's people passing you here and there. You're passing them. And this couple, they were carrying just small day packs. They're just doing a day hike. Back and forth, passing them, they're passing me, passing them, passing me. I'd say hi, they say hi. And pretty soon we started talking a little bit because we're both resting in one spot. And as he started to talk, he had an accent. And I'm nosy. And I typically always, almost always, (laughs) I'll ask, where's your accent from? It's just what I do. I'm always curious about it. And he said, I'm from the old Yugoslavia. I left there in 1997 and I came to America. My antennas lit up because now I have somebody here who has insight. And I started talking to him about all the ugliness of what went on there. For about five minutes we dialogued. And I've done my history, I've read up on Hitler and how he rose to power. And I said, uh, did the uh, Serbians, did they have to vilify a people group? He goes, oh boy, did they. Because I know that's what Hitler did. He vilified the Jews. That's what they always do. They have to find a group that they vilify and make them the enemy. They got to do it. That's how they create division, chaos. How Satan does it. And then I asked him this. Now, this is a guy with experience. He's lived it. You and I are barely seeing things beginning. He's lived it. And I've since then run into other people from other countries, and I've asked them questions because they have the experience. I, I said, do you see any parallels between what happened in the old Yugoslavia and in America today? His eyes lit up, his voice got passionate, and he said this. He said, oh yeah. And then he added, you cannot let them do this here in America. And then he adds, this is a great country. He's right. Two last two thoughts. What's interesting to me, again, I've said it a few times, Satan has no new plays. That's why the New Testament says you cannot be ignorant of his schemes. He he runs the same plays. And he's playing us. We become an angry, offended, intolerant culture, but that came out of the family. People walk around, they don't get angry, they are angry. They walk around, everything's personal, everything's offendable. 
everything. They're looking for ways to be offended. That's hurting the family. But what's more interesting is Jesus. Jesus could have looked at all of us and said, you know, I got some ancient grievances against Jim Del Campo and every other human on the planet. I got some chosen trauma, what they've done to me with their sins against me. You know, I'm offended. I'm angry. I'm going to be intolerant. He could have done all that. But he doesn't. He says of himself, the Son of Man did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He doesn't go after ancient grievances against me or you. Aren't you glad? Then shouldn't you build your life and house upon that rock there? So when all the winds and rain of all these different idiotic thoughts come around, you're built on solid rock? And you don't become one of the angry, offended, intolerant. You become conformed to the image of Christ. Who came to seek and save what's lost. Who said to James and John, you do not know what spirit you have. You you don't get it. You know what I like? (laughs) I just like this. John, one of the two that wanted to call fire down from heaven. Angry John. Angry, offended, intolerant John. If you read on later in his life, like in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you find that his whole character changed through the power of the Spirit of God. He became so loving. So loving. He's no longer angry. Not walking around offended not intolerant. That's the Jesus way. That's what Jesus can do to a life. Do it for your life. He can do it for my life. I've been working on myself for a long time now through the power of the Spirit, not my own power. Can't change myself. All I do if I just do it on my own power is I transfer addiction to other things and there's no healing. It's just a merry-go-round of different addictions and different things like that. You're out there today. I I I, want, I can't play, and the, honestly, the older I get, I just don't want to play anymore. You need to look at yourself, Christian. Look at the anger inside. Where did it really come from? And what are you going to do about it? Because that anger leads you to being offendable and offended as you walk around which leads you to an intolerance of people, which makes you not like Jesus, which means you'll win no one to Christ. You'll miss the mission. It's time to repent. It's time to start talking about what happened back in that family. What made you angry? What was it? What what happened? I know what mine was. And for uh, 31 years, I've been working on myself. And I'm not blaming anybody. And I'm not going to walk around angry and offended and intolerant. I'm not going to do it. 
It was a waste of my life. And I sure couldn't be a healer doing that. You need to start walking in the healing of the power of God through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, through the fellowship of others and start sharing what happened. Get some help. Start talking. Now, if you're out there and you're not a follower of Christ, listen closely to me. If you're not a follower of Christ, there is no hope. There is no hope. Only in Jesus Christ is there hope. Only He can save you. Only He can wash away all your sins. And sin will keep you out of eternity with Him and sin will send you to hell. Well, Jim, I don't believe in hell. Don't matter what you believe on that or not. Jesus talked about it all the time. He's God in the flesh. He said, it's there, it's there. You say, well, Jim, why would a living God send a person to hell? Your assumption's incorrect. You assume that people want to be sent to heaven against their will. They're not. They choose to go to hell by rejecting Jesus. But I'm getting an opportunity. The love of God's been poured out through Jesus Christ on the cross. He, he laid his life down for you. He took the torment. He became the substitute for you. How much more love can he show you? He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants you to put your faith in him. He wants the spirit of God to come and live inside of you. So I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. And maybe you backslid. Maybe you've walked away from God. It's time to get it right in the midst of the insanity of our of our world. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say it slowly and in blocks. If you want to put your faith in Christ for the first time or rededicate your life, you repeat it with me. If you're around people and it feels awkward since you're, we're watching on social media or different venues right now, let's say in your head. But after we're done, tell people, I put my faith in Christ or I rededicated my life. Do it. So here we go. Repeat this prayer. Repeat this prayer. Put your faith in Jesus. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. I place my faith in you. I become a follower of you, Jesus, today. I thank you that I'm born again. Now, here's what I want to do. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head right where you're at, and I'm going to pray for you. Let me pray for you. God, I, I just pray in this holy moment time right now. I pray for every person that prayed the prayer. I, I would hope that you would now embark on this journey with Jesus. Keep tuning into church. When the church opens up again, get into church, into the fellowship. Get a Bible. There's people around you. Have them point you to a Bible that's understandable. Have them point you to where to read. And begin to grow in Jesus. I pray that you grow in the love of God that in the weeks and months and years that follow in your life, hmm, that there will be great transformation that is evident to all and that you will grow in love for others. Greater love has no one than this and one laid down their life for the friend. Jesus laid it down for you and you now begin to live a life of sacrifice for others.
That's the greatest love. I pray, I plead the blood upon you. Thank you, Jesus, for today that all heaven rejoices over people who come to you, repent of their sins. In Jesus' name I pray, and we all say, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.